Turn with me to the book of Galatians. Probably not the book that you think of when it comes to uh, a sermon concerning Christmas. We're going to take a look at just one verse in Galatians chapter 4 this morning. And I want to just... There's so much that's here that we could say, but I'm, I'm going to try to keep it uh, as short as I possibly can and um, just take three simple truths, uh, truths that you don't have to look very hard to find, you don't have to dig, you don't have to have some kind of great uh, knowledge of the Bible or the original language or some theological background to pull these truths out. And, and I think sometimes, you know, our... Um, our issue is, is that we're, we're, we're trying to find something new when in reality what we need to do is just think more about the old. Um, sometimes simple truths uh, can lead us into a much deeper path and a deeper walk with the Lord. And, and so I hope this morning that uh, our look at Galatians 4.4 will do that for us. Now, I did give you something, and if you didn't get one, they're um, going to be at the back, uh, at the sound booth, uh, a little connect the dot, you know. That's how simple it's going to be this morning, just something uh, very elementary and, and, and maybe for some very childish. Um, that's, I didn't give that to you to give you something to do during the sermon. Uh, you've got to have incredible eyesight anyway to be able to see these numbers to connect the dots to begin with. Uh, but it is, it, it is going to be, uh, hopefully, something that you can just stick in your Bible and keep with you as a reminder of a very simple message uh, this morning from Galatians uh, chapter 4. So let's read Galatians 4.4 4 together uh, this morning. Oh, and if you're, those for, th- for those of you that are in here, if you're depending on the screen behind me, you're out of luck. That's all you're going to get this morning, what's up on the screen. So, um, sorry about that. Let's read the text. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we're just going to stop right there. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law the law. I'm going to start out this morning by asking a, uh, an easy question. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you felt the timing of that situation was absolutely terrible? It could not happen at a worse time in your life. We can all relate to that, right? We've, we've all had situations and moments in our life that the timing was absolutely terrible. Well, I wonder this morning how Mary, a young teenage girl, felt when the angel Gabriel appeared to her with news of her impending pregnancy. News of pregnancy alone is overwhelming, right? Especially when it's unplanned. Mary, like most women, longed to be a mother, just not right now. Gabriel's news, although glorious, 
could not have come at a worse time relationally. How could she convince her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, that she had remained faithful and that her pregnancy was of a supernatural origin? Could you imagine trying to explain that? Good thing an angel showed up to kind of clue Joseph into that uh, Mary was not a promiscuous woman and that she was telling the truth about her pregnancy. News of her pregnancy could not have come at a worse time, out of wedlock, pregnancies, at various times and at various degrees have been frowned upon by most cultures. Okay. However, Mary lived in a time and a culture where such a situation was scandalous. And I really look for a better word than scandalous, but I just, I mean, there were some words out there, but if I gave them to you, I'd have to spend 10 minutes explaining what the word meant. Let's just put it this way. The scandal is far beyond, I mean, think of the most scandalous news you've ever heard of and multiply it times infinity. And that's how scandalous this news was. A woman pregnant with a child and not wed. There could not have been more scandalous news than this. And though Mary's news of her pending pregnancy was great news, I'm sure it produced some small amount of joy, but also it, I'm sure it produced a certain amount of sorrow. Because of what, the, uh, of what would be before her and what she would have to go through in subsequent days. I mean, look, just telling people, hey, look, I'm pregnant, but I've never been with a guy. This is God incarnate living inside of me. You know, as the old saying, how do you, how you explain that? How do you explain that to somebody? You can't. Her pregnancy's poor timing intensified when this guy named Caesar Augustus decreed that everyone should return to their ho hometown for a census. Could he not have, have made this decree in her first trimester? Not during, and, and we've got baby Rosie here this morning, and, and, and I think about Alana and, the, and those final weeks and that final month, and you just, I mean, I've never been pregnant, but I felt misery for her. I mean, it can't, I know how it is when I eat a lot and my belly sticks out and I feel like I'm about to pop and you can't breathe and you know, you're just miserable, right? And, and I look and I'm like, that must be to some degree and many degrees greater what pregnancy must feel like. And so you, you, you have, you know, you have sympathy for uh, a pregnant woman and, and you think about not only is she pregnant, but this census comes out, not, not in the early days of her pregnancy, not in, the, not in that first trimester, and not even in the first month of her third trimester. It comes in the final month, those final days, that, that final week, those final weeks of that final trimester when I'm sure all that pregnant women are thinking about is, let's get this baby out and get it out quick, you know. 
But that was her situation. And now Caesar Augustus has said, look, you've got to return to your hometown and you've got to be a part of this census for taxation purposes. And it wasn't like she was living in the town that she needed to go to. Her husband happened to be from a town that was 60 miles in distance from where they were currently living. Now, 60 miles is quite a trip, right? By motor-powered vehicle, it's about an, 50 minutes to an hour drive. What, how, how long does it take when you don't have a motor-powered vehicle? How long does it take and how difficult must it be when possibly you don't even have an animal to travel? Now, I know in all of the, uh, the nativity sets that we see, we see Mary riding on a donkey, right? There is nothing in the Bible that says that she took a journey by donkey. As poor as they were, they very well could have taken that 60-mile journey to Bethlehem by foot. Now again, I've never been pregnant, but ladies, I don't know what it's like to try to take a 60-mile trip through, through not, not flat, smooth terrain, but very difficult terrain, not, not over the best roads, even if there are a road there to travel by foot for 60 miles. The census could have not come at a worse time for Mary. You know, if we focus the camera just on her, the, time of, the timing of Mary's pregnancy seems terrible. But here's what we also know. The Scripture never records one complaint, not one, not saying she didn't, but if it was important, the Bible would have recorded it, not one complaint, from Mary during this awful situation. It couldn't have been the worst time to be pregnant with child. But from God's perspective, the timing was absolutely perfect. Look back at your text. The opening words of verse 4 says what? In the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. What does that mean exactly, in the fullness of time? Well, let me just give you some simple layman, uh, a simple layman definition. It means when the time is ripe, such as fruit, or when the time was perfect. You see, throughout history, God had been whispering and promising and suggesting that He would send this Savior, right? The promise of salvation is recorded in the Lord's first post-fall conversation with our first parents. Remember that conversation that He has with them in Genesis chapter 3? And during that conversation, what is, what is said? What, what does He promise? He promised that a Savior would come to earth. How? Through the seed of a what? Of a woman. Now that's mysterious, right? Only men possess seed. Women only have eggs. 
If you're going to live by faith, you need to make room and lots of room for mystery. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with faith. There's a lot of Christians who struggle with walking with Christ on a day-to-day basis for this reason. And that is, they don't have enough room for mystery inside of their faith. They don't have enough room for mystery. And you can't really walk with the Lord... And you really can't have this, as we call it, this personal abiding relationship with the Lord, and it be one that is strong and enduring enduring without having room for mystery. You see, the sovereign Lord of the universe does not operate in predictable patterns. Does anybody, has anybody really come to realize that in, in, in your own life? That God just doesn't simply do... The way, he doesn't do life the way you would do life. Any of you have some aspects of your life that you got big question marks beside? You got a lot of mis, you know, there's there's just mystery there. That doesn't that doesn't seem to fit with with your idea of who God is. And the reason why it doesn't is it's because it's not who God is. His works may seem random, that there's no rhyme or reason to His method, yet He is conducting a symphonic masterpiece which will be sung for all of eternity. And listen, His masterpiece is sung in the book of Revelation. Salvation belongs to our God. Throughout the Old Testament, God promises a Savior. And Paul says... In Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So here's simple truth number one this morning. Christ's coming was at the right time for many reasons. Christ's coming was at the right time for many reasons. It was at the right time politically for Jesus to be born. When Jesus was born, the Roman Empire, in many ways, was at its zenith. It was at its height. And one of its virtues was that it tended to be tolerant towards religions. Rome said this, and I quote, You can exercise your religion with freedom as long as you, as long as you proclaim that Caesar is God. Now, that worked wonderfully for most other religions, except for one. It didn't work real well for the Jewish people. The Jews were adamant about not worshiping any God except Yahweh, right? In that, in that big commandment number one, right? I'm God, there is no other. Resistance to this law in the early days of, of the Roman occupation and of Roman dominance it actually did bring persecution, and for, for many uh, Jewish people, it brought death. But over time, the pragmatic Roman leaders softened this law concerning uh, calling Caesar God concerning the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, it, it, didn't, even become, it, it, it didn't even apply to them. The provision made it... And so this provision... 
for Christianity made it possible for it to come into existence. Because here's what's interesting about Christianity and Judaism, okay? Is that that Roman leadership looked at Judaism and they believed that Judaism and Christianity were the same thing. So Christianity just kind of got uh, lumped in with Judaism and thereby it got a pass. It was kind of grandfathered in underneath this provision that was made for Judaism. And that provision stood until the year 70 A.D. And if you know anything about history, that is when Nero came to power. And I have walked some of the old streets in Rome where uh, some of the posts actually still stand where Nero would take Christians and that would not recant their faith and they would tie them to these poles that line the city streets, and they would cover them in tar and light them on fire to light the city streets at night. Nero was one of the most sadistic and evil rulers uh, uh, ever to ascend to power in Rome. But up until then, those practicing Christianity pretty much had freedom to proclaim their message, and it was at the right time for Christ's good news to be proclaimed. So it, wasn't, it, it was uh, the right time politically because this was also a time of, of peace. Uh, if you've ever studied history or if you like history or if you watch the History Channel, this is known as the, as the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana. It was, a, it was a, a time in the history of Rome of about 200 years where there was relative peace throughout the Roman Empire. This, this Pax Romana began shortly after, though, uh, the, the assassination of Julius Caesar, and which, which caused a civil war to break out in Rome. Uh, and then around 25 B.C., a guy named Caesar Augustus, who we mentioned earlier, comes to power. And pretty much at that point in time in the history of Rome, uh, we see this, uh, this Pax Romana take place, this uh, uh, this reign of peace for about 200 years. During this time of peace, Rome built roads that enabled the good news about Jesus to travel very easily. It was the right time politically for Jesus to be born. But it was also the right time for Jesus to be born culturally. You see, Alexander the Great had conquered the world into which Jesus had come. And with Alexander's victory, uh, the, the Greek culture and the Greek language actually spread throughout the world. And you say, well, what is, <laughs> what's important about that? More people in, in Jesus' world had learned to read than at any time in history. The Greek language was a very exact language, and it is this common tongue language in which the Scripture was written. So what do we have here? We have Roman culture spreading through the domination and the conquest of Alexander the Great. The Greek language is spreading. It is becoming the language that people speak. People that were, by and large, uneducated and ignorant people are now learning how to read. And so, again, you now have the Scripture that is going to be written inside of this Greek language called Koine Greek, a very common language. And that's why we see the Gospel spread as extensively and as fast as we see it spread, because... Everything had been 
God had been orchestrating uh, human events and political powers and and conquering uh, 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 despots uh, to uh, to set the stage for the coming of Christ, and not only the coming of Christ, but also the coming of the Word of God into the world, which could be spread throughout the world, so that ultimately this commission that Christ gives uh, at His ascension it can be carried out, and can be carried out uh, with, uh, with, with some ease. So it was the right time politically, it was the right time culturally, but it was also the right time spiritually. How many of you are familiar with some guys named Socrates or Plato or Aristotle, these Greek philosophers? And if you're not, you're probably influenced by them much more than you think you are. You, you just don't know that you are. But, but their, uh, their influence is felt even to today. And so these uh, early Greek philosophers did an excellent job of raising some very important questions concerning the meaning of life. The only problem was is that they didn't do a very good job of answering the questions about the meaning of life. But God used them, used these Greek philosophers, as some historians have said, to plow the fields of the human heart. And Christ and his followers then came in behind them and sowed the seeds of meaning into the ground. So even these Greek philosophers that are, are, are rising to power and prominence within uh, the world at that time, though they are not Christians, though their message is not Christian messages, God was using that to ready people's hearts to receive the gospel uh, of grace. Which leads to the second simple truth from this text. God uses difficult circumstances to accomplish great good in His timing. God uses difficult circumstances to accomplish great good in His timing. Don't leave out those final words, in His timing. It was the perfect time for Christ to be born politically, culturally, spiritually, and yet it was terrible timing for Mary personally. Through the Lord's timing for, uh, though the Lord's timing for Mary was terrible, she obeyed. She did not let mystery cause her to wonder if God really cared about her, but to worship in spite of her circumstances. There's a uh, NBA basketball player from the country of Haiti. His name is Skal. Uh, Labassery, I believe is the way you say his last name. And he arrived in Portland to play for the Portland Trailblazers, knowing that his playing time uh, would be minimal at best. Yet, reflecting on his path to the NBA, he was not filled with anxiety, but with gratitude. He knew that he would probably play just a few minutes per game, usually in what in sports term we call garbage time, which is usually either your team is getting their eyes beat in or you're beating the other team's eyes in, right? If you're an Alabama fan, you already know what garbage time is because you have a lot of players that play garbage time. That's usually called the fourth quarter for Alabama. 
We Auburn people know nothing about this, nor do any of our players. But garbage time is when you when you is is a blowout, and so he knew that that would be the only time that he would more than likely get in and play. But I want you to hear his perspective. Things like this, playing time, yeah, it's frustrating at times, but after what I've been through, believe me, I'm good. God got me to this point, and I still have a way to go. I'm excited about what's ahead here. You see, this young man was alluding to the tragic earthquake in his native Haiti that he experienced when he was 13 years old. How many of you remember the, the earthquake that rocked Haiti and our church played a, a role in that in sending support and sending finances and money down during that time to support Good Shepherd Ministries. The quake caught him unaware on the third floor of his home. And for those of you that have been in Haiti, how many of you want to be on the third floor of a Haitian home in the middle of an earthquake? I see the people that have been, and they're like, ain't no way. That is the last... You just don't even want to be in Haiti, period, during an earthquake, much less on the third floor of a Haitian structure. He eventually had a wall crash on top of his back as he protected his mother from the shifting rubble. It left him unable to walk for several weeks. His family all survived, but they knew his dream of playing NBA basketball would be difficult if he remained in Port-au-Prince. So his father found a nonprofit organization that might help his son reach his potential. So eight months later, uh, he boarded a plane and he flew to the U.S. to live with a local resident named Gerald Hamilton in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. The love and the support from the Hamiltons gave him the foundation he needed to pursue high school basketball. Then the college hoops, and to tell you how good, this guy is just, he's not chopped liver. He ended up playing for the University of Kentucky, which is one of the blue bloods in college basketball, where he eventually went on to the NBA. He said concerning the earthquake, it was an awful event, but added, and this is the direct quote, but for me, God used that experience to open doors. Quite a perspective, right? Quite the right perspective to have in the midst of difficult circumstances that what? That God is working something out for good in time. Which leads me to the final um, truth from this morning's text. God uses our choices for his, per, uh, for his perfect purpose. God uses our choices for His perfect purpose. Throughout Scripture, we see that God, we see that, uh, God taking people's choices, even evil ones, and choreographing them for His purposes. We see Him taking the good choices that Mary and Joseph made. But also remember, during this whole season of Christ's birth, there was much evil that was going on. Even after the birth of Jesus, the evil decision uh, to, to murder the, uh, all babies two years and under because of the threat of this supposed king that had been born. But listen, God, God is ruling and reigning over all choices that are being made. I can't think of a better, more hopeful thought 
than that during this time of our, uh, this time in our world, right? Certain people think that certain people are making evil choices, and the other people, uh, group of people, think another group of people are making evil choices, and everybody's thinking everybody's just doing evil. How, how do you live in that kind of world? i tell you how you live in that kind of world. Because you know, as a Christian, that God works all things together for good. And so no matter what side is saying, well, they're doing evil, or the other side, they're doing evil, guess what? We know that God works all things, evil and good, for His good. Which, guess what? Is for our good. And so we rest, right? We're, we're not in turmoil. We're, we're not overly anxious. We're not stressed out about what may happen or what is happening or what might have happened. Why? Because we know that God is at work. We have stories like Joseph to remind us. We have a book called Esther to remind us. And we have the life of Jesus himself to remind us of that. Is there a darker day in history than the death of Christ, than the crucifixion of Christ on the cross? Can there be a darker day in history? But the darkest day in history led to what? The greatest day in history. The resurrection of Christ. The salva our salvation. Listen, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan our course in our heart, but ultimately the Lord determines our steps. Do you believe that God is using your free choices and is fulfilling his destiny through you in his perfect time? I hope that you do. A very prominent theologian by the name of J.I. Packer points out it's a paradox that we are free in our choices, but that God sovereignly uses our free choices to achieve His perfect purposes. How can that be true? How can we be free to make decisions, yet God is sovereignly in control over everything? Well, let me just say this to you. It's a paradox that we cannot understand with our human mind, with our human mind, but we accept by faith. But listen, it's not the only paradox in the world that you believe in. How many of you believe that light exists? Everybody? I hope so. I got it shining in my eyes, beating down on me. But did you know that light according to scientists, can exist as a particle and as a wave. And you know what scientists tell us? Something cannot be a particle and yet be a wave. It's a contradiction. But yet, scientists tell us, though it appears to be a paradox, a contradiction, guess what? Light is both a particle and a wave. So they developed this cute little word called an antinomy to explain it which means that there is something that normally cannot be true, but it is true nonetheless. 
It is something that does not make sense, but it is the truth nonetheless. We are free in our choices, and yet God is sovereignly shaping history. Such a statement is mysterious, but it is true. You don't even have to be a person that necessarily believes in God to have God shape your destiny. For example, Steve Jobs was a person who didn't believe in a personal God, but believed that there was some higher power in the universe, some benevolent power uh, that was shaping his life. Five or six years ago, he gave a very uh, famous speech at Stanford University, which he recounted the story of being born to an unwed mother who put him up for an adoption. She had a stipulation, though, for the adopting parents that they had to be college graduates. Well, the adoption was set, uh, was set and the day came, and, and Steve Jobs was born into this world, and his uh, adopt, prospective adopting parents... Uh, got the phone call, hey, your son has been born, uh, you can come and pick him up from the hospital. The adopting agency was notified uh, during that phone call that uh, Jobs' prospective parents had changed their mind, and they no longer wanted to adopt. This sent the adoption agency into somewhat of uh, uh, a frenzy because they needed now to find a home for this new baby boy. They had a couple that was on the adoption list and was ready to go, had been approved, had been through all the, the necessary processes for to become adoptive parents. Except there was one issue. They were not college graduates. As a matter of fact, the dad was not even a high school graduate. So the caseworker went to Steve Jobs' biological mother and said, uh, we have a family in place, but uh, they, 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 they don't meet the criteria that you have put forth about being college graduates. Is there any way that you would make an exception in, in this case? After pondering the request, Steve Jobs' biological mother came back and said, I tell you what, I will allow them to adopt my son if they promise that he'll go to college and graduate. And they agreed. Steve Jobs graduated high school, went to college, and after dropping out of college, Jobs learned about what is now called typeface. And he took some calligraphy classes while he was in college. Jobs said about his college experience, about dropping out of college and then dropping back into college, to take classes that he liked rather than taking the classes that was mandatory for him to take. He says, looking back, dropping out was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and began dropping in on the ones that looked interesting. He said, let me give you one example. Now, he's telling this to college graduates at Stanford. Reed College at the time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout campus, every poster, every label, every drawer was beautifully hand-calligraphied. Because I dropped out and didn't have time to take the standard classes, I decided to take calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans-serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between the different letter combinations, and about what makes typography great. 
It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle, in a way that science can't capture. And I found it personally fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. But ten years later, I'm still quoting Josh from this uh, commencement address at Stanford, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, and as a matter of fact, I guess I just assume that you know who Steve Jobs is. Uh, Apple, he's Apple, okay? He's the Apple man. Now, he had another sidekick named Steve Wozniak, who was kind of the brains on the engineering side, but Jobs was the genius on design and development. He said, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single college course, the Mac would have, would have never had the multi-typefaces or the proportionally spaced fonts. Since Windows just copied Mac, no personal computer would likely have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class and perhaps personal computers might not have the wonderful typography they do. Still quoting Jobs, it, is, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very clear looking backward 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You, you see where I'm going? You can only connect them by looking backward. But you have to trust the dots will somehow connect the future. You have to trust in something. When I read that quote, it got me to thinking about dot puzzles. Now, this dot puzzle is very interesting. I completed it. And you may say, well, boy, you got good eyesight. No, I found it on the internet, and I magnified it so I could see the numbers. It took me like two hours to do this. This is, I mean, this is no easy task whatsoever, all right? I think there's like 642 dots in here. It's a lot. But here, here's, here's my point with this. Does anybody, can anybody make out what that picture is? Because you know it's a picture, right? Anybody make out what it is? Well, if you can, you, you're pretty good, all right? It has a title at the top, doesn't it? All glory comes from daring to begin. It's, it's from the Bible. And you can speculate based on that name what it might be. I had some speculation. I was totally wrong. And when you finally draw it out, and I know you can't see this either, but this is actually a picture of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus with the dove descending from above. Now, here's my point. Life looks, most of the time, like what your paper looks like right now. Right? That's, what it, that's the way it looks a lot of time. A lot of cloudiness, doesn't make sense, not sure this is even going somewhere. But, but, here's, but, but here's the deal, okay? When I sat down yesterday and devoted two hours of my life to this illustration... Here's what I knew. I was not wasting two hours of my life. I knew there was a picture in the dots. What did I need to do? 
I need to, to be patient and put the dots together. And once all the dots started coming together, guess what? What, what the saying or the title at the top began to make sense. Listen, you and I are going to read the Bible and we're going to see what the Bible says. And sometimes what the Bible says and the actual reality of our life may not match up together. But here's what you and I must do. We must do like Mary did. We must do like what we talked about a couple of weeks, and that is what Joseph did. We must trust. Even what Steve Jobs said. That we have to trust and believe that the dots are doing what? They're leading to something. God is up to something. God is doing something. It's just not a, it's just not a jumbled mess of black circles with numbers over the top, over the top of it. It's at, God is actually up to something. And so, listen... Steve Jobs, as a probably, I don't know if he would be an atheist or an agnostic, but he's one or the other. Not sure where he, he ended up on that. Maybe more agnostic, because he seems like there's at least some type of higher, higher power in the world. Even Jobs says, you've got to trust in something. So here's what I would say to us this morning. Why not trust in someone? Why not trust in the living God? God uses our ordinary choices to accomplish His eternal purposes, and He does it in His perfect time. Why? So that you and I will trust Him with our lives. I want to close with this. I think there's basically four types of people that are either in here or watching online. I think the first group is what I would call the concierge group. And you say, what's, what's, what's the concierge group? If you ever go to uh, uh, a hotel, especially if it's a somewhat nice hotel, they have what they call concierge services. And you know what those people will do? They'll do whatever you want them to do. Matter of fact, if you want them to get tickets to a show or to a concert or whatever, I mean, if it's a really nice hotel or a place that you're staying, they will bend over backwards to get you whatever you want. That's what they're there to do. They're there to fulfill your heart's desire. Well, that's the way a lot of people are in their life. You spend your life doing whatever your heart tells you to do. This, as you have found, is a never-ending uh, emotional roller coaster ride that has left you worn out. And so those, of us, those that find themselves in this concierge group just simply need to admit today that your heart does not pres uh, possess the necessary uh, credentials to run your life. Choose today to live by faith and not by your feelings. The second group are the group that I would call the kings. They spend their life plotting and planning their little kingdom. The responsibilities that accompany such, uh, such responsibilities have left these people weary. But guess what? They're weary and they're worn out too, but they're just way too prideful to give up any kind of control. They appear confident in all that they do, yet they always second-guess themselves privately. When they get it right, 
The highs are as high as could be. And when they get it wrong, the lows are, well, they're more like wells of, the lows are more like wells of deep despair. They put on a good face because that's what rulers do, that's what kings do, but they're exhausted at every level. And so if that's you, you know what you need to do this morning? You just need to abdicate the throne, get off the throne, surrender the throne to the king who will genuinely rule your life for your greater good. The third group is the cynic. I don't know if there's any cynics in here today, but possibly some watching online. You believe life is random, that it's got no rhyme or reason. You make your own way. You create your own luck. No higher power at work. Only those who work have the power to control their outcome. Scripture teaches that even the accomplishments of cynics, non-believers, and doubters are the work of the Lord. You see, everybody experiences God's common grace. You don't believe me? You're listening to me today because the God of the universe is at work in your life to connect you to Himself. And then finally, the final group listening today are Christians. Listen, it's easy looking back on Mary's life to say that she made the right decision, right? But Mary didn't have that benefit. Did she? Did God somehow give her some kind of dream on how it was all going to turn out? Nope. Someone said it's, it's easy to trust God looking backwards. <laughs> well, of course it is. I can connect the dots, but it's hard to trust God right now because I don't know what the future holds. Kierkegaard said we understand life looking backward, but we must live it looking forward, and that's the hard part. The way we can trust God looking forward is by looking back to Mary and the Son of God that she bore, and the Son that she bore. The Son of God, God in human flesh, who was once a baby, became a man, and at age 33 died on a Roman cross as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. Listen to these final words of Paul. Paul says if God did not spare that God did not spare his one and only son for you, but gave him as a sacrifice for you, how will he not also along with him freely give you all things? That's how good God is towards you and me. No need to be stressed out. No need to doubt God in the midst of difficult circumstances. Just because you don't understand why these circumstances are, are happening, you can know this. If you will put your faith and trust in God alone, He will work out every circumstance of your life to your ultimate good. I had a young man that uh, interned with me when I was at East Taboga. And uh, one day we were making a hospital visit in, uh, in Birmingham. Matter of fact, we were going to see Marcus's sister. She was, uh, was having a pretty significant uh, spinal surgery. And so uh, Hunter uh, accompanied me there because he was learning the ropes of ministry and hospital visits and 
all that kind of stuff. And he wasn't getting paid for it. It was strictly voluntary. It was a, it was a pure internship process. And so that morning, we, we got to UAB Hospital. We made our way onto the elevator, and we were having a discussion about uh, school because he was getting ready to, uh, to, to graduate high school and was uh, trying to figure I mean, excuse me, he was, he was in college. He was at Gazan State at the time, and he was trying to make a decision where to finish out the final two years of his school. But he, he wanted to go to a place that was a Christian university where he could get a degree in theology because he felt called to the ministry. And he was like, you know, it's just not working out. Um, I'm having a hard time finding the right school. And then if I find the right school, it's way too expensive. And, you know, money's, you know, money's a big issue. I, you know, I need to get scholarships, blah, blah, blah. He's just going on about the stress of trying to figure out where to go. And he said, you know, I'm just depending on the Lord, asking the Lord to lead me. And, uh, why, and all this is happening you know, a lot of that conversation happened uh, while we were on this, uh, on this elevator, and it was going very rapid. And a guy, uh, the, the, the elevator stopped, and this guy went to get off on his floor, and he stopped, and he put his hand on the door, and he turned around, and he said, have you ever considered the University of Mobile? And Hunter was like, well, yeah, I've, I've kind of looked into it, but it's not very high up on my list. He said, why? He said, he said, give me your name and your number. And he said, I'm going to be back in Mobile in two days. He said, I work for the president. He said, I'm a, a liaison to the president of the University of Mobile. And he said, I'm pretty sure I can get your last two years of college for free. And so Hunter gave the man his name and his number, and the guy got off the elevator and went on about his bit. And we're standing there just dumbfounded, like, did this just really happen? Did this just really happen? And listen, I could tell you, and you say, well, that's a good story. You know, he was, good things were going on. But, but listen, he was in a very difficult place in his life, and there was a lot of stress and anxiety. And, and, and he was, you know, trying to trust the Lord, but yet still being overcome by the, the situation that his life was in. And yet... Here was God proving again to be faithful. I could tell you a thousand stories this morning of other people in the same type situation, some much worse and some much better, where the Lord proved himself again, faithful, 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 faithful. I can tell you about horrendous events in my life that God has worked together for good. And he didn't do it the next day, and he didn't do it a week later. Sometimes it was decades later before we saw God's goodness out of some terrible situations. But you can trust Him. And you can trust that whatever He's allowed, He's up to, he's up to something good in it, no matter how bad it is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Life is tough. Life is difficult. And for many of us, we struggle with maintaining a quality of faith that says, 
that you're up to something good. And yet, Father, I've seen through the abandonment of children, through the death of children, through all types of tragedies and difficulties, even in my own life, I have seen you bring incredible good out of those situations. It didn't seem like it at the time. It didn't feel like it at the time. And Father, even in some of those situations, we're still seeing the good from those, from, from those events even to this day. And some of these events are almost 20 years ago. Help us to look back at the life of Mary, Joseph, and even their son Jesus in those times where we doubt your goodness and doubt that you're up to something good in difficult circumstances and remember your faithfulness to them and most of all, your faithfulness to us and that in the darkest day of human history, you brought about our ultimate good because you brought to us what we desperately need and that is salvation. And Father, my prayer is this morning for those that are cynics, those who choose to be the God of their own life, is that you would just open up their eyes and their hearts this morning to the truth that there is only one person worthy to be trusted there's only one person who will genuinely run our lives and orchestrate our lives for our good, and that is you. And then to your people, Father, may we with, uh, with, a, with a newness and a freshness today leave here more than ever before convinced that you are working all things together for our good and your glory. And even in the confusion of circumstances, You are connecting the dots and creating a beautiful masterpiece in our lives and for your glory. Help us to trust in that. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to stand and let's sing this final song together this morning.